Chapter 4 of Celebrated Crimes, Volume 5, Urbane Grandier. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Dion Gines, Salt Lake City, Utah. Celebrated Crimes, Volume 5, Urbane Grandier, by Alexander Dumas. Chapter 4. That evening, Grandier asked the bailiff for an audience. At first he had made fun of the exorcisms, for the story had been so badly concocted, and the accusations were so glaringly improbable that he had not felt the least anxiety. But as the case went on, it assumed such an important aspect, and the hatred displayed by his enemies was so intense, that the fate of the priest, Gaufredi, referred to by Mignon, occurred to Urbain's mind, and in order to be beforehand with his enemies, he determined to lodge a complaint against them. This complaint was founded on the fact that Mignon had performed the rite of exorcism in the presence of the civil lieutenant, the bailiff, and many other persons, and had caused the nuns who were said to be possessed, in the hearing of all these people, to name him, Urbane, as the author of their possession. This being a falsehood and an attack upon his honor, he begged the bailiff, in whose hands the conduct of the affair had been specially placed, to order the nuns to be sequestered, apart from the rest of the sisterhood and from each other, and then to have each separately examined. Should there appear to be any evidence of possession, he hoped that the bailiff would be pleased to appoint clerics of well-known rank and upright character to perform whatever exorcisms were needful. Such men having no bias against him would be more impartial than Mignon and his adherents. He also called upon the bailiff to have an exact report drawn up of everything that took place at the exorcisms, in order that, if necessary, he as petitioner might be able to lay it before anyone to whose judgment he might appeal. The bailiff gave Grandier a statement of the conclusions at which he had arrived, and told him that the exorcisms had been performed that day by Barra, armed with the authority of the bishop of Potier himself. Being, as we have seen, a man of common sense, and entirely unprejudiced in the matter, the bailiff advised Grandier to lay his complaint before his bishop but unfortunately he was under the authority of the bishop of Potiers, who was so prejudiced against him that he had done everything in his power to induce the archbishop of Bordeaux to refuse to ratify the decision in favor of Grandier, pronounced by the presidial court. Urbain could not hide from the magistrate that he had nothing to hope for from this quarter, and it was decided that he should wait and see what the morrow would bring forth before taking any further step. The impatiently expected day dawned at last, and at eight o'clock in the morning the bailiff, the king's attorney, the civil lieutenant, the criminal lieutenant, and the provost lieutenant, with their respective clerks, were already at the convent. They found the outer gate open, but the inner door shut. In a few moments Mignon came to them and brought them into a waiting-room. There he told them that the nuns were preparing for communion, and that he would be very much obliged to them if they would withdraw and wait in a house across the street, just opposite the convent, and that he would send them word when they could come back. The magistrates, having first informed Mignon of Urbain's petition, retired as requested. 
An hour passed, and as Mignon did not summon them, in spite of his promise, they all went together to the convent chapel, where they were told the exorcisms were already over. The nuns had quitted the choir, and Mignon and Barra came to the grating, and told them that they had just completed the rite, and that, thanks to their conjurations, the two afflicted ones were now quite free from evil spirits. They went on to say that they had been working together at the exorcism from seven o'clock in the morning, and that great wonders of which they had drawn up an account had come to pass, but they had considered it would not be proper to allow anyone else to be present during the ceremony besides the exorcists and the possessed. The bailiff pointed out that their manner of proceedings was not only illegal, but that it laid them under suspicion of fraud and collusion in the eyes of the impartial. Moreover, as the superior had accused Grandier publicly, she was bound to renew and prove her accusation also publicly and not in secret. Furthermore, it was a great piece of insolence on the part of the exorcists to invite people of their standing and character to come to the convent, and having kept them waiting an hour, to tell them that they considered them unworthy to be admitted to the ceremony which they had been requested to attend. And he wound up by saying that he would draw up a report, as he had already done on each of the preceding days, setting forth the extraordinary discrepancy between their promises and their performance. Mignon replied that he and Barra had had only one thing in view, viz. the expulsion of the demons, and that in that they had succeeded, and that their success would be of great benefit to the holy Catholic faith, for they had got the demons so thoroughly into their power that they had been able to command them to produce within a week miraculous proofs of the spells cast on the nuns by Urbain Grandier and their wonderful deliverance therefrom, so that in future no one would be able to doubt as to the reality of the possession. Thereupon the magistrates drew up a report of all that had happened, and of what Barra and Mignon had said. This was signed by all the officials present, except the criminal lieutenant, who declared that, having perfect confidence in the statements of the exorcists, he was anxious to do nothing to increase the doubting spirit, which was unhappily so prevalent among the worldly. The same day the bailiff secretly warned Urbain of the refusal of the criminal lieutenant to join with the others in signing the report, and almost at the same moment he learned that the cause of his adversaries was strengthened by the adhesion of a certain Monsieur René Mernin, Signor de Silly, and prefect of the town. This gentleman was held in great esteem not only on account of his wealth and the many offices which he filled, but above all on account of his powerful friends, among whom was the cardinal duke himself, to whom he had formerly been of use when the cardinal was only a prior. The character of the conspiracy had now become so alarming that Grandier felt it was time to oppose it with all his strength. Recalling his conversation with the bailiff the preceding day, during which he had advised him to lay his complaint before the bishop of Padier, he set out, accompanied by a priest of Loudun named Jean Baron, for the prelate's country house at Dissay. The bishop, anticipating his visit, had already given his orders, and Grandier was met by Dupuy, the intendant of the palace, who, 
in reply to grandier's request to see the bishop told him that his lordship was ill urbane next addressed himself to the bishop's chaplain and begged him to inform the prelate that his object in coming was to lay before him the official reports which the magistrates had drawn up of the events which had taken place at the ursuline convent and to lodge a complaint as to the slanders and accusations of which he was the victim grandier spoke so urgently that the chaplain could not refuse to carry his message he returned however in a few moments and told grandier in the presence of dupuis baron and a certain sur le bras that the bishop advised him to take his case to the royal judges and that he earnestly hoped he would obtain justice from them grandier perceived that the bishop had been warned against him and felt that he was becoming more and more entangled in the net of conspiracy round him but he was not a man to flinch before any danger he therefore returned immediately to Luden and went once more to the bailiff to whom he related all that had happened at Dissay. He then, a second time, made a formal complaint as to the slanders circulated with regard to him, and begged the magistrates to have recourse to the king's courts in the business. He also said that he desired to be placed under the protection of the king and his justice, as the accusations made against him were aimed at his honor and his life. The bailiff hastened, to make out a certificate of urbane's protest which forbade at the same time the repetition of the slanders or the infliction on urbane of any injury thanks to this document a change of parts took place mignon the accuser became the accused feeling that he had powerful support behind him he had the audacity to appear before the bailiff the same day he said that he did not acknowledge his jurisdiction as in what concerned grandier and himself they being both priests they could only be judged by their bishop he nevertheless protested against the complaint lodged by grandier which characterized him as a slanderer and declared that he was ready to give himself up as a prisoner in order to show everyone that he did not fear the result of any inquiry furthermore he had taken an oath on the sacred elements the day before in the presence of his parishioners who had come to mass that in all he had hitherto done he had been moved not by hatred of grandier but by love of the truth and by his desire for the triumph of the catholic faith and he insisted that the bailiff should give him a certificate of his declaration and serve notice of the same on grandier that very day End of chapter 4